0: Uh, The the theme is peace. And as I was looking at this passage about John the Baptist, I was thinking about repentance in relationship to peace. And also this line uh, that's been churning around in my mind since a few weeks before Advent, and that is, prepare the way of the Lord. It's something that John quotes from the prophet Isaiah, close to what we read earlier uh, when Kara led us in the call and response. And this idea of being able to prepare a pathway for God, it, it just seems really strange. You know, yesterday we drove out to South Haven, it's Benjamin's birthday today, and we went to Urban Air. You know, it's, it's like this crazy indoor trampoline park, you ever been there? Um, if, you're, if you're a parent and you go there, it, you need a lot of time afterwards just to think about your life and what's going on in the world and, and that. It, it, it's super fun and exciting if you're a kid. But along the way we drive past the airport and like all the FedEx landing strips and stuff. I've, I've never actually driven that far down Airways Boulevard. Now I know why it's called Airways Boulevard because you see planes for like 20 minutes And we got to see the planes land and take off and all of this runway that was happening. And I found myself later reflecting on this idea of preparing the way of the Lord and and how in some ways it seems really silly to me, this idea that I could do something to make God's presence possible like a runway could for a plane. But that's what John the Baptist is is proclaiming, that there's a way to do that and that he's doing it. And so when we're looking at this passage, I want us to keep that idea in mind. I want us to keep this idea in mind that what John the Baptist believes is that there is something that we can do that would make the presence of God more likely to show up in our lives. It might be something that you already know in your mind or it could be something that you need a huge realignment on your expectations of what it is that would make the divine presence of God more accessible in your life. So let's let's start with the first couple of verses here and and read and see see what we can discover from from this story about John the Baptist. So in in verse 1 it says, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So John the Baptist, he's out in the wilderness, and, and he's preaching this idea of repentance. And he's saying, you need to repent because this realm, this world of the kingdom of heaven, that it's near, it's, that it's almost here. And so for him, there was this huge urgency that you needed to have a change of heart, a change of mind, or that you needed to change directions in your life to prepare for this eminent realm, this eminent kingdom that was coming. And it's really kind of urgent and even even scary in uh, in this passage here. And when I think about repent, I think about our relationships and connections to one another. When I think about us changing our minds about something or changing directions, I think about the mindsets and the ideas that we have towards one another and even towards ourselves. And, and I, wanna, I wanna say this up front because what a lot of us as Protestants and a lot of us growing up in certain traditions, what we've learned to associate with repentance is that it's always about some kind of secret sin uh, that we have that we have to repent of. You may have those things. Most everybody has secrets that need to be shared, that need to be uh, shown light on. They could be things that we are doing wrong, morally wrong, or they could be more about things that we feel ashamed of that we need to be able to share with another person. And it takes a lot of courage to share it and to do those things. But I wanna talk for just a second about the goal of this because he, John is saying that the kingdom of heaven is coming near. And if you've been around here at Christ City for any length of time. You know, I talk about the kingdom of heaven a lot. It's something that feels near to me. A lot of times it's something that feels present in the world around me when I'm present enough to see it and to interact with it and to engage with it. And, and one of the things that I think is so important about this kingdom of heaven is that people can be at peace with one another that people can have ways to work through conflicts, that people can have ways to love and care for each other across huge chasms and divides of all types of things. So when John is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, I want you to be able to have in your mind this idea that repentance provides the grounds for peace. When we are willing to own up to things, to ways that we treat one another and even ways that we treat ourselves that are violent, that are harmful, that when that's the first step in producing a life of peace. And so while many of us might have that narrative in our mind that repentance just means like, I've gotta feel really bad about something that I did wrong or something that I'm doing wrong just because God doesn't like that and doesn't like me, I want to give you a slightly different way to think about it, and that's that idea that the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of peace, of right relationships. We sang about it. We proclaimed it in the word already today. It's a place where the, the lofty are brought down and the low are brought up. There's an equal level, an equal playing field that Isaiah talks about in the scriptures. So when we talk about a biblical repentance, a repentance that Jesus preaches, that uh, John the Baptist points towards, even though he doesn't even fully understand what he's doing, he just knows he's preparing for something greater than him, we're talking about a place where when we begin to own up for the things that are harmful in our relationships, that we get closer, ever so closer to a world of peace, a world where the kingdom of heaven can be among us and seen through us. And I need somebody to say something. I need somebody to show me that they're here with me this morning. I need some kind of amen or something. Y'all are too quiet, because this is too grand a vision to be that quiet about. Okay, there we go. So John comes onto the scene And he comes onto the scene in two ways that I want us to talk about and look at this morning. He's coming with a message of repentance, but he's coming from a weird location, the desert. And there's a lot of reasons why this is a little weird. One of the reasons is because John the Baptist, who was John the Baptist's father? If you know your your Christmas story real good, John the Baptist's father was a, what, what was his profession? He was a parson, right? <laughs> for those of you who were here last night, that's an inside joke for caroling in the round. He was a priest, he, and his name was Zachariah. And if you know anything about the priesthood in John the Baptist's day, it was, uh, it, was, it was through blood. It was through who your parents were if you were in the priesthood or not. And these folks that show up on the scene later that John doesn't like, and he's got a lot of mean things to say to them, Calling them a brood of vipers, pretty bad. Um, one of those groups is called the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were the priests. They had the the bloodline of the priests. And so you're just born into this sort of spiritual hierarchy and authority where you're kind of at the top of things. And the Sadducees at this time had become a very corrupt sort of situation. They were kind of like the mafia. They were were like a spiritual, religious mafia that controlled things. And they controlled people through the status and the birthright that they were born into. And John the Baptist was one of these people. He was... That was his family, that was who he belonged to. Now his dad wasn't corrupt, but most of that organization was. And so what did did he do? He fled out away from all of that. He left it and he went to the desert. So I know this doesn't sound extremely relevant to your situation right now, but I'm about to come a little bit closer to your front door because here's what was happening in John the Baptist's life. He had a whole system of ways to make sense of everything, right? He had, it, it was really clear where he fit in, and it was a good spot. It was a really high up on the food chain in all ways, shapes, and forms, and he had a certain way of doing things that he inherited, and he had certain privileges and rights, but John became frustrated enough with the lack of clarity that he had within his soul, within his heart, that there was a lack of inner peace within him, that he was disturbed enough that he needed to leave that for a while, maybe forever. And he didn't know exactly what he would do or what he would find, but what he did know is that he couldn't even hear himself think, he couldn't even understand what was needed inside of himself without getting out of that. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to hearing so much noise and being so busy and bombarded by so many messages that there's not any external quiet, much less internal quiet within you? Anybody? Somebody? And so this drove him out to the desert. The place that John came from was a place where he could speak and he had a lot of answers and he could talk about what needed to happen and what you needed to do to be right with God and right with your fellow man and right with everybody, but something wasn't working about that. It just just wasn't sitting right with him at different times. And so the other reason, another reason why he left the desert wasn't just to get some peace and quiet, but it was also so that he could listen instead of speak. Listen instead of speak. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed of, you know, just the time I spend on Facebook, and it in, informs some of the things that I think. But um, one thing that I know, being on social media and seeing those kinds of things, Twitter and whatnot, is We're not in a culture of listeners. Everybody's got something to say. Everybody is really strongly convinced about a whole lot of things that maybe they just started thinking about 10 minutes ago and then now they're tweeting it, now they're hashtagging it, now they're doing this and then all these people are liking, that's right, that's exactly the way it is. Yeah, the earth is flat and whatnot, right? Or whatever it may be, you're, 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 your particular poison, what it is you want to be really convinced of. But for John, even though he had access to all these things and everybody had a lot of good reasons to listen to him, he said, I need to listen myself for a while. I need to sort out what's going on inside of me because I don't even feel at peace with myself much less being able to preach about something like peace to other people. So he goes out there, he goes out to the desert, and over time, he develops what he thinks God is calling him to do in his life and to share that with other people. And what he, what he comes up with is repentance is repentance, is a change of mind, a change of heart. And sometimes we need a change of scenery before we can get to that point in our lives. We're in this, um, this men's study group that uh, Matt Hernandez is, is spearheading and a lot of the guys in here are in that group. And it, we're reading this book called Adam's Return about male initiation rites. And there's, there's talk about the desert and there's talk about this kind of death that's supposed to be experienced. This sort of metaphorical death that's supposed to be experienced by men that are adolescents becoming men. And that the desert is a part of that because when you're out there, there's nobody to listen to you. There's nobody to validate you. There's nobody to look strong or clever or um, any of those other things in front of. And you're sort of faced with sort of the, just the naked thoughts and limitations of who you are. And in that, in that, John the Baptist, something clarified for him. And that was this message of repentance. And in verse three, it said, this is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So back to this idea of preparing the way of the Lord. It was a it was a pretty simple message. He didn't have all the answers after that, but it was this idea of people who were ready to change their mind, who said, "I need to change my mind and I don't know how." That's what the Greek idea of this word repentance meant. The the Hebrew word of repentance was literally a picture of turning, of making a different direction, a different course. And, and what I want us to just consider, what I want you to consider for your life in this season where like our our capitalism is ramped up at like, I don't even know, I mean, between the algorithms and all, all the things, like it's you can, I mean, I talk to my wife about one thing and the next day when i open up my phone there is an ad for it right there the next day so we were at caroling in the round last night and guess what shows up because we the couple of us had drums and we talked for maybe like t- 1 minute about drums maybe 1 minute and and i see ads already popping up for drums on on, on my phone we are in the we're saturated with all of what we're supposed to be doing and supposed to be thinking about right now, which is pretty much everything but repentance, everything but Jesus, everything but peace on earth, and everything about how to continue to satiate those voices that are haunting us. How do we get enough stuff that those voices quit haunting us, that that lack of self worth within us or that resentment that just keeps stewing within us, how can we just numb ourselves to that? And John says, no, you need to change your mind. You need to be willing to say, this ain't working. I need something and somebody else to help guide me and direct me. And when you come to that moment in your life, you've got a nice clear runway for God. Fly right in, and start to reshape some things in your life, to 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 do a spiritual decluttering. You know that's a that's a big conversation in our house right now. Three kids and thirteen hundred square foot house, um, decluttering. We're talking about decluttering a lot, you know, and we'll we'll go to Malia's room and. Say, okay, Malia, it's time to get rid of some stuff. And, uh, and Malia's like, well, I don't know if that's going to work, Mom and Dad. You know? <laughs> well, what about this? You don't play with this anymore. You're right, I don't play with it, but I want to keep it. And, and, you know, she learned that from somebody. Maybe, maybe her parents, right? This is the problem with, with decluttering, with getting rid of things, is the reason why you have that stuff is at some point you thought you needed it. And I think the same thing's true of repentance. So that might come in handy sometime or that's been really useful to me. That resentment really gave me some power It really gave me something to anchor me to, to, to stabilize me, to have that anger and that rage at that group of people or that organization or that church or whatever it might be in my past. And I think I still need to hold on to that. That obsession, those obsessions in my life, the places that give me this sense of self-confidence that maybe I'm just a little bit better than other people because I work way harder or I do this or that, that I I need those things. So this this is like when we come upon that threshold, that decluttering threshold of repentance. It's, I think I still need this stuff but it's not, I wouldn't say it's working for me, but I don't know what it really looks like to step into that desert of repentance and actually expect that maybe God will show up with something better. It's a scary place to be. It's a scary place to take a step into that realm and that world. Because it might not work well, but hey, it's kind of all we got. And I want to say this. Uh, Mandy and I were talking about this a little bit. It, Mandy's like a Swiss army knife, isn't she? She's like, she spreadsheets everything. She's executive pastor. Then she leads worship. And she does, she could go up there and do godly play. I mean, she just does everything. And we're, we're, we're talking about cleaning up in Walker Hall and getting ready for guests. And Um, Yeah, we're just talking about like, it's like getting ready for company at your house and you're putting stuff away and and doing all those kinds of things. And um, I think one of the reasons why this is a hard, sometimes it's a hard conversation to talk about repentance is because we've got the idea that it's kind of like the decluttering is kind of like when you've got company coming over and you just want everything to be really perfect and clean before they come. And that we think that, that maybe that God thinks that way about us. That, that maybe that we've gotta have it all straightened up before, before God will say, mm, you're good enough now. Like you've got your life together enough or your friend has their life together enough that, that you can talk to them about it or that kind of thing, talk to them about God or pray with them. And then, then God will, will decide, oh yeah, I think you're good enough now to show up for. Instead of this other way, this other mindset of thinking about it is that we've just got a lot of junk in the way that we have to be willing to let go of. I think John the Baptist in in doing his temple rituals and priestly duties and things like that is he had the sneaking suspicion that God was speaking already, that God was communicating already, but he was just having a hard time being able to hear because of all the noise. When we repent in this way that we're talking about this morning, it's just an admission that we need to listen more than we need to speak. Brings us back to hospitality, right? If if we're truly hospitable, whether it be towards God or other people, we're not just listening or waiting for our chance to speak. You know the difference in a conversation. When somebody is already just thinking about the next thing they wanna say to you, They just need to be heard. They just want to be heard. And that's a whole nother sermon because you do need to be heard. But but they're not actually listening to what you have to say. Repentance is, is the admission. At least what we're talking about here, the admission that you need to listen more than you need to speak. Let's read the rest of this passage here about John, starting in verse four. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So this is weird, but it kind of makes sense now that we've kind of talked about it a little bit more. You know, John's a rough dude, not making any fashion statements, right? I know I'm wearing the same shirt that I was wearing in the video, and I tried. I tried, and I couldn't make it work this morning. So, you know, I, I feel John, you know, not obviously on the same level. Um, I think I had like cinnamon rolls and donuts for breakfast, not locusts and honey. But, but John left the noise, and he listened Till he had something to say. And when he started saying it, people wanted, wanted it. And they were willing to leave their comforts and leave their smartphones and leave their Facebooks and go out into the real world, into the wilderness where there were snakes and jackrabbits and you know scorpions and stuff out there just to hear what this guy had to say. Coming from all the all the areas around there, and then he was he he was getting them to confess, to repent, confess their sins, and then he was dunking them in a river It, it, it was something that we like we think it's really normal and ordinary as Christians right now, but this is like a pretty different thing that John had sort of invented, come up with it. It wasn't really It was like, kind of like ritual cleansing, kind of like a couple of Old Testament stories and things like that. But John made it into this, this showing of like, you're going to change your mind. You're going to come up. You're going to clean yourself. You're going to be cleaned by God. And now you're ready. You're ready to receive what God has for you. And it says in verse seven, but when he saw many of the Pharisees And Sadducees come into where he was baptized. Remember, the Sadducees are those uh, uh, spiritual mafia guys. And he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. There's that thing about the bloodline thing, like John is so not into it. He so doesn't care what your pedigree is. He doesn't care where you come from. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor, educated or not educated. We all need the same thing. That was the clarity that John got out there in the desert, that we all need the same thing. We all need the presence of God. We all need a change of mind in some area so that we can receive what God has for us. And he says, A bunch of really intense judgment stuff. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He was ready for the priesthood just to come crashing down, man. He was ready for it. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in, it, is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This second part of what John is preaching here, it shows a lot of things about him and about his perceptions of God and repentance. But one of the, one of the things that I think um, is important for us in this Advent season is that I think John only got part of the message. For all of his spiritual sacrifice, for all of the things that he was able to accomplish and all the people that ran to come hear him and to repent is that he only got it partly right. John the Baptist. And I've not made nearly the sacrifices that he's made. What chance do I have of getting it all right? It's not very good. I do think it's interesting this sort of paradoxical statement that Jesus said about John the Baptist. Maybe you remember him saying this. He said, Born of man, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. But even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John was extremely clear, convinced, convicted about his belief that we needed to repent, that we needed to prepare a way for the Lord. But he, was also, he also understood something else. He knew that he wasn't, he wasn't the guy with all the answers, that there was somebody coming, that there was somebody to be preparing for, and that, that person was Jesus, in fact, Jesus comes onto the scene and Jesus' disciples start baptizing people. That's John's thing, right? And, and John's disciples, they, they come to John and they're like, dude, Jesus is over there on the other side of the river and his disciples are baptizing people and everybody's starting to go to him instead. And John says, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. I, I already told you, I'm not the guy. I'm just the guy pointing to the guy and i i find some incredible comfort in this and confidence as well i find what well, this is what i find as as i close that i don't i don't have to get it all right all all i all i need to be able to do is be able to point it point to other people that hey there's a change of mind there's something else that works better i i know i know that God has something else better for you. I'm walking into that. I'm living into that. I'm experiencing that little steps at a time. I can show you where that where that well is to drink from. I can't tell you what all the what all the makeup of it is or what's going to happen this time or that time. I can give you some ideas about it. But John the Baptist didn't even have it all right. He didn't he didn't I don't know if he spent too much time in the desert. But I do think that we need both the desert and the temple. I do think we need both things. That those of us who say, well, the temple didn't work, so I'm going to strike out and live in the desert and do my own thing. I think it's limiting. And John the Baptist's story is pretty short after this. He points to Jesus He says some stuff to a king, gets his head cut off, it's the end of the story. But I think we need both the temple and the desert to begin to flesh out what this life of repentance might look like. And I do, I wanna call you guys to that today, to repentance, to prayer. When we take communion, to pray, when we come to the table, it's a reminder that God wants communion with us. It's also a reminder that we got stuff in the way sometimes and God loves us in spite of those things. It's not, it's not a hindrance to God's loving us, but it's a hindrance to us hearing from God to getting something different in our life. So as we think about becoming a more hospitable congregation and More hospitable individuals in our lives, let's take seriously. Are there things in our lives that we need to prepare the way of the Lord for within us? Things that we need to repent of, things that we need to share, things that we need to get prayer for, right? It's a good time. You don't have to be out in the desert to do it, you can do it in the temple. Let's pray.